When I was eight years old, I was living in Fort Worth, Texas with my family. And one evening, my parents called me into the living room, and they told me we were going to be moving to some strange city named Jacksonville, Florida. I was going to be leaving behind my school, my friends, everything I knew in life at eight years old. I was sad and frustrated and angry. Even the promise of beaches didn't seem to really cool my anger. Over the next month, as the school year wrapped up, I kept thinking about how all my friends were going to forget me. Just a few days before we were going to move, my mother said she needed to go pick up some friends, some things that she'd loaned to my best friend's mom. So we got into the car and we drove to my best friend's house. And when we pulled into the driveway, my mother asked me to come inside with me. And as I walked into my best friend's house, I saw that all my friends were there. They were all having fun and apparently no one had invited me. My best friends were moving on without me. Carl and Chris and David and Ethan, all of them were there. And I was so upset that I took my mother's hand and I turned to walk out the door. And she got down on her knee and she said, Mark, this party isn't for someone else. This is for you. This isn't for someone else. This is for you. A few years ago, I preached a sermon on the importance of the little acts of kindness and love we can show each day. And after the service was over, there was a parishioner who said he wanted to talk to me. Now this parishioner was a real curmudgeon. He was always complaining about his adult children, always complaining about his retirement community, even complaining to me frequently about me. And I started to think, what am I going to say if he says that he's heard the message of this sermon, these, these little acts of love that were called to practice? How would I respond to that? Instead, what he said to me is, Father Mark, I think my kids need to hear this sermon. Can you send me a copy? We are really good at finding excuses why God is calling someone else. But the thread, if you look through our readings this morning, that ties everything together is this message that this is for you. This isn't for someone else. This calling to work, to serve God, isn't for someone else. This is for you. There are four excuses that I think we make pretty frequently trying to let ourselves off the hook that our readings speak to this morning. First, when there's work that clearly needs to be done, many of us say, look, that work is the job of the church. I'm just not a very churchy person. I suspect that's what Matthew had been saying to himself for years. Matthew was a Levite. He was of the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. He came from a lineage that had people like Moses and Aaron, the first high priest of Israel, and Miriam, and Samuel, and Jeremiah, and so on and so on. But somehow, 
somewhere, Matthew had decided that what he wanted above all else was wealth and success. He became a tax collector. He turned his back on his faith. He cheated his neighbors, all to make as much money as possible, regardless of who it hurt. Matthew probably looked at his brothers, who almost certainly worked in the temple, and said to himself, I'm glad it works for them, but it's certainly not for me. I'm not the religious type. God can just stay in his lane over there, and I'll stay in my lane over here. But let's be honest with ourselves. Don't we say the same sort of thing on occasion? I'm too practical to be that churchy. I don't do yoga, we'll say. I don't go on silent retreats. I don't read spiritual books or theology in my free time. This Christian message is clearly meant for someone else. Someone else. Just not me. But regardless of Matthew's excuses, Jesus said to him, follow me. Follow me. If we look at the oldest copies of the Bible written in the Koine Greek, there are two facts about Jesus' command, follow me, that are particularly salient. First of all, the verb follow, or akuluthē, is singular as Jesus uses it. This means Jesus isn't talking to a crowd. He's not saying, hey, someone out here, follow me. He's using the singular tense, calling an individual. Jesus is looking at Matthew and as an individual calling him. And Jesus does the same with us, not calling us as a crowd, hoping a couple of us will respond, but calling each of us individually. Second, the verb to follow as Jesus uses it is in the active tense. We're called to respond. We're called to do something. Follow me. When I was in college, I took a class with a, a speechwriter. He'd been a political speechwriter before he became a professor. And he made the point that when something goes wrong, politicians use the passive tense. This is a grammatical tense that sort of hides the subject of the sentence. It doesn't acknowledge the subject. Politicians will say things like, mistakes were made, or procedures were disregarded, or communications broke down. But who made the mistakes? Who disregarded the procedures? Who didn't communicate properly? By using the passive tense, politicians get to let themselves off the hook and never take any responsibility. But again, I suspect we do the same thing. How often do you and I look at our society and we use the passive tense, the needy should be served, the disenfranchised must be welcomed, sacrifices need to be endured to build a more just society, well, who's the subject? Who's responsible? Jesus doesn't let us off the hook that easily. I suspect that Jesus would say, you must serve the needy. You must welcome the disenfranchised. 
you must make sacrifices to build a more just society. After all, this is what, D- what Jesus did with Matthew. He said, follow me. Jesus used the singular tense. He used the active tense. And he does the same with us. We can't let ourselves off the hook by saying we're not the religious type. Second, many of us look at the challenges in our lives and in our society, and we make an excuse for our inaction by saying, that's just too big for me to fix. There's nothing I can really do about that. Those problems are too significant. There was a leader in the synagogue named Jairus. He was a powerful man. He was certainly accustomed to getting his way. But his daughter became sick, and she died, and all of his power and his influence couldn't fix that. And I know I've been in those sorts of situations. You probably have too. Problems that are too great in front of you, or moments where it feels like there's absolutely nothing we can do. For example, gun violence in this country is out of control. More people died of gun deaths in 2021 than any previous year. Or alongside the rise of social media, we've seen increases in childhood depression and skyrocketing feelings of isolation. Or if you look broadly at our society, suicide rates are at record highs, there are so many problems that I can't fix. And I'm tempted to say, why even try? But what our faith tells us is even when problems seem overwhelming, we still can make a difference. We still have a role to play. We are still called to take action. Jairus' daughter had died, but he still acted. He sought out Jesus, and he knelt in front of him, and he begged for help. And Jesus went to the home of Jairus, and he told his daughter to get up, and she did. When we face these massive challenges, we oftentimes think someone else needs to fix them. That's for someone else, we'll say. Homelessness, or wars, or violence, or substance abuse, All of these are issues that are far too big for me to fix on my own. But what Jesus is saying is that the job of making this world increasingly look like the kingdom of God is not given to someone else. This is for you. This work is for you. It's for me. Jesus calls us, like Jairus, to take action, to seek help, to realize that we're not alone when we face these great challenges, and then to be a part of the solution. I recently heard a story about three men who were in a boat with a hole at one end of it. Two of the men watched casually as the third person stood over the hole at his end of the boat and bailed out water as quickly as he could trying desperately to keep the vessel afloat. After a while of watching, the first man said to the second, thank God that hole's not in our end of the boat. We see great challenges 
and we want to think that someone else will fix them, but more often than not, their problems are also our problems. Their challenges are also our challenges, and we are called to be part of the solution. Third, some of us may make the excuse that there's nothing we can do about the problems that assail us because we're just too unimportant. We'll tell ourselves we're too insignificant. We're trivial. The woman in the reading today with a bleeding disorder probably thought she was insignificant. She is not named in any of the Gospels. She'd suffered from a bleeding disorder for 12 years, and Matthew and Mark, who both mention her without naming her, say that she had no money. She was presumably unmarried, diminishing her social standing. She was ritually unclean. She was excluded from parts of the religious life of her society. This woman had every reason to think she was too unimportant for Jesus to notice her, to care about her concerns, or to give her meaningful work to do. But as Jesus was going to the home of Jairus, this woman was in the crowd. She knew that Jesus had important work to do, and she obviously didn't think that she was worth his time of day. She didn't call out to him. She didn't ask him to stop. She didn't call his assistant and try to schedule a meeting with him. But she knew she had to do something. So she reached out, and she touched his robe, and she was made well. But Jesus stopped, and he turned to her, and he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Jesus says the same thing to us when we think we are too unimportant to make a difference. Take heart. Have faith. Don't just watch. When things are broken, take action. Reach out. Do something. Fourth of all, many of us make the excuse to disregard God's call because we think we are in the wrong stage of life. We are too old or too young. In the reading from, from the Old Testament today, Abraham, who was still called Abram at this point, had every reason to think that he shouldn't take action when God called him. After all, Abraham was 75 years old. It was time for him to retire, to start collecting a pension, to relax. He was probably worn out. It's someone else's turn, Abraham could have so easily said. But God said, this work, this is for you. This is for you. God told him to leave his country, to leave all his friends behind, and in return, God said that he would bless him and make his name great, and through Abraham, God would bless all the families of the world. And Abraham listened to God, and he took action, and he set forth with his whole family. You see, God will never prevent you from doing work because of your age. God calls us, all of us. So what excuse are you making 
to not respond to God's call, you may think, I'm just not that religious. I'm spiritual, but I don't get all this religion stuff all the time. If so, just like God called Matthew, the practical tax collector, God is calling you to work. Or you may look around and see problems that seem too great for you to address. Violence around the globe or brokenness in our society or even discord in your personal relationships. But Jesus doesn't ask you to fix these problems on your own. Like Jairus, who called to Jesus for help, together we can address challenges that seem insurmountable and even impossible. If we take action, we can make a difference. Or maybe you think you're too unimportant, you don't have any money or any social connections, or you're excluded from parts of society. That's what the woman with the bleeding disorder could have felt. But she did what she could, and she reached out to the one who could heal her, and she was made well. Or maybe you think you're too old. Your opportunities have passed. It's too late for you to do any good. And Abraham could have thought that also. After all, at 75 years old, he was only at the beginning of this journey that God was calling him to. You and I are so good at coming up with excuses and explanations why we're not the right people to answer God's call. That's meant for someone else. But what God says is, this is for you. This calling is for you. This work is for you. This great celebration of the kingdom of God and making it come to life here, that is for you. What the Bible makes very clear is God calls to each of us. God is calling me and giving me work to do. And God is also calling you. You have work to do. This is for you. Amen.